Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I do love my theme music. Yes, I do. It's written and recorded by an internet friend at Toe You can find him online. Toe he's great. Um, this is the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Hi, I'm Osher Ginsberg. Welcome. Thanks for being a part of the show. This is a weekly conversation uh, with someone that I find truly inspiring, someone will hopefully leave you truly inspired as well. My goal in this show is to talk with guests that have a great story to tell or who have achieved something remarkable in their lives and through their story, hopefully get inspired myself, perhaps inspire you too. If you're new to the show, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Please check out some other episodes. There's a gajillion or 33 other episodes If you're at this point. If you're a subscriber, welcome back. Um, thanks for subscribing. If you hear something that you like today, something that resonates with you, please, please tweet out a link to the show, pop a Facebook post up about the show, just tell people about the show. That'd be incredible. You can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on Facebook, you can find me at osherginsberg.com, where you can also subscribe to my email list. I'll let you know about new episodes and occasionally post a cat gif. 
My guest today uh, is Camilla Wright. She is the founder and the editor of one of the longest-running online gossip newsletters around. Um, it's called Pop Bitch. You can find her on Twitter at Pop Bitch. I'll tell you about more about her in a moment. I just wanted to take a take a moment now. I just wanted to thank you for being here. I know that I don't charge for this show. It's free, and by free, it means that you don't give me any money for it. But you still pay for it. You pay for it with your precious time. Uh, time that you're not doing other stuff, your valuable time, your valuable attention, which I cannot possibly put a price or a value on. So I just wanted to thank you as much as I possibly can. Thank you for spending the most valuable thing that you can give away, your time, with me. Um, I am truly, truly grateful. It, uh, it's, I'm really humbled that you're here and thank you. What's happening with me? Um, it's been a battle this week. I've kind of uh, swung out of anxiety um, and I'm kind of dealing with depression at the moment. Now, for anyone that has never suffered from depression or doesn't know what it is, it's not just feeling sad. Um, that's feeling sad. Uh, for me, the way it manifests in me, it's kind of like it's my brain taking every single piece of input from the sound of a rainbow lorikeet frolicking in the sunrise, the sight of a happy baby giggling over a piece of fruit, a car driving by, an infomercial about a blender, whatever, and perceiving that input in the worst, most catastrophic light possible. It's a, it's a distortion of how my brain sees the world. Now, um, the problem is when you start believing that stuff to be real. Now, I'm grateful that I can observe this stuff for most part, for the most of it. I, I, like, to, uh, I like to practice a technique popularized by a, a brilliant, uh, he's a conductor, he's a teacher, he's a guy called Benjamin Zander. Um, and I just throw my hands in the air and exclaim, how fascinating, but that doesn't work all the time. I, you know, I try to meditate as much as I can. I, I try to keep physically active. I try to eat right, but it is, it's a lot of work. I'm going to see my doctor this week, hopefully going to change things up a bit, see if we can't find a way out of this because it's getting it's getting a bit, getting a bit exhaustive living with it. Um, it's kind of like having a, a flatmate that's always negative and bummed out about absolutely everything always, except in your head. Um, so that's, uh, that's what's going on. Um, so I'm doing what I can. I'm going to see my guy this week. I'm working my practice. I'm doing the things that I know how to do to make it better. Trying to be in action, just not sitting around listening to it. Um, had the day off today, which was nice. I so I just got on my bike and and just went on on the road for a couple of hours just to get out of my head. Um, just rode around Sydney Harbour over heaps of bridges, past all the expensive houses. It was it was nice. Anyway, I'm doing what I know I need to do. I'm seeing who I need to see. I'm taking action where I need to take action. Um, which is a lot I can do, um, but that's what's uh, that's what's going on. I hope I didn't bum you out, um, but I just want to, you know. I like doing this show because I get to be authentic with you, and um, um, that's what's going on. You know, that's that's it. It's just a thing that happens in my head. It's not real, but fuck, <laughs> it's hard work sometimes. <laughs> Uh, let me tell you about my guest today. Uh, she is remarkable. She was my very first ever internet friend. Camilla Wright. 
is her name. She is the founder and editor of popbitch.com. Easily, if not the very first internet pop culture gossip sites or gossip newsletters. It pretty much set the tone, I guess, set the standard of internet reporting from celebrity culture to pop culture in the new millennium. It kind of like shaped how we would do it in this new kind of non-print news cycle. Many people have followed in her footsteps. Perez Hilton, TMZ, Just Jared, Holly Moly. She was pretty much the first. And as you'll hear, she kind of had to invent the tech to make it happen as she went. There were no bulk mailers when she started. There was no HTML emails. There were no mailing list aggregators. There was no link bloody... <laughs> retargeting there was no seo they they basically had to, had to bespoke hand code all that stuff and they get it they got it done uh she's a remarkable woman she gave up a career or she left a career uh in serious political journalism covering eastern europe as it emerged from communism in the late 90s to start a weekly email about pop stars behaving badly and it's grown into a full-time job and that's lasted over a decade now I love people who've carved their own path. Her story is exactly that. I hope you take a lot from it. We recorded it in London about uh, two and a half months ago when I was there. It's uh, We recorded it in this super exclusive kind of like after hours drinking club that people go to when the pubs close. But we recorded there in the daytime. So we're in this beautiful wood paneled room surrounded by Chesterfield furniture. Um, in the afternoon, as the it was really interesting. She's on Twitter at PopBitch. Um, so follow her there. Make sure you let her know you heard her here. Um, and enjoy this uh, enlightening talk about journalism, the cult of celebrity, and what it's like being a groundbreaking internet startup. This is Camilla Wright from PopBitch.com. Enjoy. Hi, Camilla. Hey, how are hey, you doing? I'm okay. It's wonderful to be here in London with you, in the uh, in the depths of the the pop bitch bunker. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's it's dark and scary place during the day. It's pretty amazing where we are. I'm really happy to speak to you today because on this show I really like to talk to people who have really kind of forged their own path and have made what they love to do their job. And you are without doubt one of those people. And I'm so stoked that I can speak to you because, goodness, when was Pop Bitch Issue 1? It was sort of on the cusp of the last century and this century, sort of the end of December 99, start of 2000. Right. That was proper Issue 1. So from the start of this century. So nearly 14 years. Nearly, well, yeah, 13 years. 13 years. Of which the first four, I think, were... It was a hobby. It was nights and weekends. But since then, it's been 24-7, yeah, 365 and, days a year. And you've created – and like in a, now when everyone is – what I think is so amazing about you and what you've done with Pop Bitch is that now in this, this age of everyone's – you know, brands have Twitter and Instagrams and everyone's like branded content and y you've been doing this for – since before Web 2.0. You were doing this at the start with an ASCII newsletter. That's right. I mean, I think we've been through two digital booms and three busts already. <laughs> been through Web 1.0, 2.0. I think it's weird. Things are going to come back, going to go full circle, and everyone's going to be going old school. Well, We're going to have to go new. Which is which is <laughs> so. I'm 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 stoked to talk to you. So if it's okay, I'd love to talk about you know what. Why did you start Pop Bitch? 
God, I wish I had a good answer to this. Uh, there were two of us that started it. And what we always wanted to do was start a magazine that was... It probably won't make sense to anybody outside Britain. There used to be a magazine here called Smash Hits. It was basically... We a, had it in Australia. Did you? Yeah. It was pop stars and popular culture. But never... It was, it was always... It was, I always thought it was done really cleverly, but never took itself seriously. So it could be... Good mix of high and lowbrow, not taking anything seriously, but loving the world it was in. But it was only something you could really read up to about fifteen. And we thought one day, it, there was a, it was a different world then. The the popular culture, the the celebrity, the sharing of the, the grown ups liking music and that was not really like it is now. We always wanted to do something like that, but obviously you can't start a magazine. Cost millions to start a magazine. So when email came along, we saw a few other people. There was one called Need to Know for the tech industry, which was really inspirational. That you could just basically write an email and send it to people. We just thought this would be fun. All the stuff that nobody printed in interviews or behind the scenes in entertainment industry, TV, you know, what really goes on in the TV industry, music industry. I thought it'd be just fun to send it to some friends. Somebody might like it. Never thought it would take off. Never thought we'd be doing it for longer than a few weeks. And then suddenly people started to ask if they could subscribe to it. So it was like, fuck, we've actually got to do this now. And, and this, is a, this is the time before MailChimp and stuff like this. Oh, like you, yeah. How did you, like, you were this basically is, inventing it as you This is went. how it started. We'd write it. I mean, the text and ASCII really was because that was the only way of doing it. There was no HTML emails back then. No, that was it. And we'd have to just uh, take a list of people's emails from Excel and just send it out kind of to batches at a time. And then somebody came up with a, somebody wrote us some code and we got a, a bespoke email service together and sent it out and then it got bigger and bigger and then after about... You must have thought you were on the Starship Enterprise when that came along. Uh, from, <laughs> from copying, pasting Excel and trying not to, you know, bust out spam filters and mail filters. And, yeah. You know, because this is back when inboxes had like, oh, you've reached your one megabyte capacity, sorry, can't take any more. Yeah. And then when you start off doing that with the word bitch in your title, we suddenly thought, hang on a minute. It's probably not a good idea. Well, we went on. We persevered with it. So, yeah, it's been that was how it started. So, at the at the at the same time, you were doing this kind of a, a newer kind of journalism that hadn't yet been done on the internet. Of course, now it's everywhere yeah. what you're doing. But you were there. You were the start of it. I remember. But at the same time as you're doing that, in a parallel, you're as the tech you're pushing the technology and yeah. as hard as you can like we need this and so you were you were creating it as you go so the when the bespoke mailer came along what did that do for you at that time it started to get probably the end of 2000 it started to really get big here every newspaper was covering it tv we somebody had also at the same time invented a message board basically a new forum where people could just come in and chat on one page it's amazing that you're talking about this as if it never existed before, but folks have to understand that there was a time before message yeah. boards. Yeah. And message, there were message boards around, but they were, they were called threaded, so you'd have a headline and then each forum would be off. So, we, so somebody invented basically a flat play, page, like a Facebook page, I guess, where people could just come and leave messages for each other. And that kind of just took off and the whole of the media industry here really started to be on it. On the pop bitch message board? Yeah. And we just, there were just so many. We had Madonna on it for a while which was a fun afternoon and then <laughs> this is like pre-reddit this is like 10 years yeah. before more before reddit and this is kind of like shit is that really madonna 
sounds like it. It might be. So we had to kind of, from then, invent something that would actually get stuff out to people. So that's where the, the mailing system came into play. Then we, uh, we kind of ran out of money. It was so expensive back in the day to have bandwidth. I mean, just running a website cost a fortune. It's not like now where you can stick things up on the cloud and it's, the space is there. I mean, we, 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 couldn't, we couldn't run it. We couldn't get the messages out. We couldn't send the emails out. So we set up an appeal. People, all the readers, gave in money for it. We had a party that um, people like John Deacon from Queen came along to and just put money in a bucket. <laughs> Which got us through a few months, and then some people came along and said, "Hey, we've got loads of spare bandwidth." They were uh, they had an old nuclear bunker in uh, the south coast, so we ended up there, and uh, that's kind of what happened: just borrowing and steal, stealing, and trying to keep in touch with people both in Silicon Valley and here that were doing interesting things and saying, "Hey, you should try this tech," which lasted about five years. At which point, we kind of gave up on the trying to be cutting edge and just thought, "We're just we're just going to stay stay old school now." So that's the, the, the tech side of it, which I, I find fascinating. So what, you're still in the bunker now? No, nah, the, bunk, the bunker's not there anymore. We're, uh, we're up in the cloud now. Oh, okay. Yeah. But for a pr period there, your, your servers were in a nuclear bunker, yeah, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, it was exciting. awesomely cool. You'd have to go in through the old blast doors and into the, uh, the rooms that were once kind of stopping Russian bombs from uh, coming to Britain. I know they didn't, but they were, they were there to do it. And suddenly our, uh, our servers were there, which was fun. No doubt. So that, that's the, the tech side of thing, which is just to kind of, it puts it quite a bit into perspective as to, as to what was the background of what you were doing, which was ultimately getting this, this voice out there, which was mm. cheeky. It was breaking things that people at that time daren't talk about. Sure. Yeah. It, it did like, uh, did you ever, like, grit your teeth and press send, like, oh, this is scary? Yeah. You'd grit your teeth, press send, close your computer, and then just go to the pub. Because two hours later when you came back in and you had to see the string of emails from PRs, readers, lawyers, you didn't want to be sober to face it. <laughs> it's still kind of – it's not like that anymore, really. The world has changed, but – you, it used to be that you also people didn't really understand the internet they didn't realize that people how people were using it how people were talking to each other in, in the internet like they do now on twitter like they do on facebook was it's not the same as a national newspaper just publishing something and therefore we were very much at the forefront of all the i guess the legal case law being made wow which was uh it was it was a good experience should we say <laughs> An interesting. I never experience. thought about that. So the very so the earliest of trials involved Popbitch, and yeah, and lots of celebrity lawyers were trying out their their tactics on how to stop things getting onto the internet through us because it was well known. You'd have lawyers and publicists manning our message boards twenty four seven just to see what was being put up there. When the newsletter came out, you had fairly instant responses from some of the bigger law firms. And, um, yeah, there was, a, there was a time here for about two or three years where famous people were taking out things called super injunctions. So injunctions that would sp stop people writing about them, but they were so secret you couldn't even write about the fact that these things were in existence. So, yeah, we got one of the, uh, the earliest ones of those. It's still largely in place, even though the stories are mainly out now. So um, it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your lawyer's on a boat somewhere going, it's been so much fun. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, 
we're uh, we're lucky to have found some good lawyers early on. And again, just like with the tech things, it's uh, it's it was new, and the idea was it to be cheeky. And I, but I guess good natured was always the plan with Pop Bitch, even though we were breaking stories, and I guess a lot of people in it didn't think that we were being good natured to them. But it was always intended to be for people who love popular culture, just giving a different side to it. So we've been very lucky that really good lawyers, really good journalists have helped us out on the way. Wanted to be part of the, the club, I guess. I always, I never thought it to be mean when I was reading That was Pop hopefully Bitch. how it was. I guess some people probably thought it was mean if they were the ones being talked about. But we never really had an agenda against anybody. I never had the money to push you know, really push against people, even if we did dislike them. So hopefully it's not taken as too mean, especially not these, these days. We're probably the nice guys on the internet, <laughs> the way the world's gone. Oh, goodness. Like you think about the snark on Twitter now, like mm. the instant vitriol that is unleashed on a, on a typo, like someone accidentally misspells something and like just... Although conversely, you used to be able to print things and not get the abuse or the... Now, because of, I think, people on Twitter can say, you shouldn't do this, I don't like this, I'm offended by this, don't write it. So you do get a lot more pushback on, on humour and jokes that w- 10 years ago you could have said anything and now it's kind of, that's inappropriate, that might offend somebody. It's the idea that somebody out there might be offended is quite a big, big thing, even though everybody every day is being really offensive. It's a weird world. It is, this idea that, I have a right not to be offended by anything Yeah, is a strange one. The idea that you go into the world expecting it's everyone else's responsibility not to offend you. That's right. It's, and t- it's an interesting viewpoint. I don't take it myself. <laughs> no. Um, no, we always said that there wasn't a joke that had been thought up yet that could upset an Australian reader. <laughs> it's where all our good... It's where, it's, I think it's where we got our... Um, a lot of our humour, where, where the line should be drawn is from the uh, readers we had in Australia saying that was a good one. I know Australia <laughs> plays I know Australia plays quite a role in the evolution of Pop Bitch, <laughs> uh, which I'd like to talk about a little later on. But let's get to the moment. You said it was four years where it was a hobby. What point did you go, okay, we're going full time? Like, because essentially you're now, you're an internet startup. You're... Yeah. What is this, 2003, 2004? This was... Hang on, but at the time you're working as a journalist, you're making money... Yeah. 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 But it was just becoming too big to run and also it was was kind of taking over. Also, I guess one thing to say, back in those days there was no such thing as digital advertising, you know. People didn't really want to put adverts online because why would you do that? That's, That's too new and who would read them? So the thing that propelled us to do this was um, Diesel, the clothes brand in Italy, said, hey, we love what you're doing. Why aren't you doing more of it? And we said, well, we haven't got any money. And they said, well, we'll, we'll advertise with you. We'll take some of the stuff that we were doing on TV and huh. we'll put it on your, your site. It wasn't, it wasn't a lot of money and it wasn't a big campaign, but it was enough to say, think, hang on a minute, this, this, this might be a new thing. So that's, that was the one thing that, that started it as a, as a kind of going concern as a business. Um, and again, you're making up terms and you're making up yeah. how the sales agreements work because no one's done this stuff yet. Yeah, and we were kind of plowing a furrow as, as a newsletter as well. You know, by that time, I guess, we had about 200,000 subscribers. We were getting into their inboxes every week. It was different to just being, at the time, like a Yahoo or something which had a homepage where you 
put a banner ad whereas a lot where a lot of the internet advertising's gone so i guess we've always been a little bit counter uh, counterintuitive but you were doing exclusive offers like uh, links that you could track from within an email yeah. before google seo and before any of that link tracking that is available just everywhere now yeah you could say you know if you wanted to see who was looking at your ads or who wanted to buy something we could just show you even on a text email it's it's really easy yeah but at the time when you started it you would have had to figure yeah. out how to do that oh i think we figured it out after we did it oh. it was like hang on we we've just done that it, that's that's how most of it developed you do it and you think oh my god that was a thing we just did it but you didn't really know you were doing it and then you can go back to the client and say we had two hundred thousand, forty-five thousand click to this many bought hooray yeah. And the client goes, rad, we'll see you next month. Yeah. And even though, you know, things that now play a great role in business, like link trackers where you can say, hey, I, I shortened this link and like bit.ly or something, and then 10,000 people saw it, 3,000 people shared it. That obviously didn't exist at the time, so we had to invent our own shortened link, Popbitch. Yeah. I think we bought popbit.ch, a Swiss um, URL, so that we could use that as a short, shortener so that we could do it. It was, again, it was uh, making it up as we went along. So what was it like to let go of the reins of um, your journalism career and dive into this? What, what, was it scary? I think I'd always wanted to work for myself and this was a place I felt comfortable. The voice of Pop Bitch, it's not my voice. It's, it's got its own world and its own, but it's part, it, I'm part of it. So going out and talking to people, not just writing things, but even kind of funding it, you know, who's our partners, who do we want to talk to in the world, how do we want to interact with our readers, that was all very much a strong part of it. And um, I guess the stories bit, the communications bit is what still drives me. But, you know, where, where I was, I was doing freelance pieces, features... It, it, this was a much more direct way to people's um, inboxes. So no, there was this was great. And do you remember the like the first month that you paid rent out of purely pop bitch revenue? Like, did did you have a moment where you go, look what I've done? <laughs> I think for about six months, I I I gave a friend my uh, Visa card. Um, and then just took cash out like your kid, I guess, and said, I'm going to spend this month. And then if you ran out relying on someone to take you to the pub or to buy you dinner or something like that. But full, it got full bootstrap mode. It, that's how it felt like, just like this has got to work, but until people pay. And to be honest, it's, it's always been like that because on a weekly newsletter, you're only getting in what you can get in that week. You might have an eight month contract with somebody, but they could go bust three weeks in. So it's still very much on a weekly basis. I'm not sure it's done a lot for my stress levels over the years, but um, it keeps you focused. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when Pop Bitch, when you go full-time with Pop Bitch, did you, uh, did, did, it do it, did it coincide? Because when, when it started, it was this amazing time of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys mm. and Britney. There was so much going on when you went full-time with pop bitch did it coincide with a similar peak in no no i don't think it did um it was really i think what it, the, the one thing that really 
time-wise started Pop Bitch was Britney, Baby One More Time. Because we'd always been convinced that grown-ups could really love pop music and pop culture. And I'd say grown-ups were, you know, in your 20s then rather than teens. But that came out and it was such a, a pop culture moment. The song sold so many copies so quickly that um, it was like, hang on a minute. She's, she's something. We've, we've got a hook to hang this on. So Backstreet Britney was really what, what drove it. I think the danger about when it was full time about 2004 was that it was a, it was a poor period for music. And there was a stage of getting a bit grumpy. So, but it gave it a voice as well, you know, being grumpy about the world of manufactured, marketed pop. I think it was just in the things like uh, TV song contests were in the ascendancies all around the world. And sometimes people were great and sometimes people came out of it were really poor, but they had such money behind them. And there were so many manufactured acts here that were, that were rubbish. I mean, there were, I love manufactured pop. Things like Five, Backstreet Boys. I mean, two of my favourite bands, probably from the time. But some of them are just awful. So I think there was a couple of years, probably around that time, where it coincided with... It was a good period to to talk shit about the, the world of pop. But you don't want to be grumpy forever. So I'm really pleased that over time, there's peaks and troughs. There's bands you love, there's films you love, there's TV you love, even though there's things you hate. Because it's always, it's always, it's mostly been pop music, mm-hmm. pop bitch. But it also, it, it it has its moments where it's actors and then footballers. Yeah, and I think anywhere where there are famous people, where you can look behind the scenes, and that's interesting. Even the world of media, you know, looking. I mean, we've had such big media trials here going on. You know, every day in the high court, there's either a celebrity or a journalist um, facing the judge over some serious charges. So there's a hell of a lot of stories just in that. And it's the same that goes on in the world of of football. Where, where there's money and where there's control, there are stories that people don't want you to read. And I guess what started out just as pop music, we've branched out into sport, to politics, to Hollywood, TV, anything like that. I'm guessing that you, once you gave people an outlet, I'm guessing you didn't have to really hunt for stories. Stories would come to you. I think for the first few years that was true. People were desperate to give you stories. We never, we've never paid for stories. It's not like a tabloid where you can make a few thousand by, by, by selling something. It's always been on trust that if you want to tell us something, we'll, we'll pass it on. So there's a lot of people who feel more comfortable doing that. Maybe someone who works with someone they don't like that much or wasn't treated that well. Maybe someone's hairdresser or PR or something like that. Somebody was a runner on a TV show where the, the, the star behaved badly or um, journalist who did a story and then the interesting bit of the story got spiked, that sort of thing. So, yeah, people were throwing stories at us. I think then there became a time where there's so many competing places. Suddenly a lot of newspapers, a lot of websites were paying people for the stories that that we weren't so they got spread out and then people were starting to put them on Facebook, Twitter, things like that. But what we've noticed about over the last three years that a lot of that it's resurfaced that I think again people feel they want to get these things out. It's fun to share gossip. I think it's a huge part of human trait. But this is a way they feel comfortable doing it. So um so yeah. It's every week you get something come into your inbox or somebody rings you and you go, Oh my God. Oh. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and mainly it's not you know they're not earth shattering stories but they're just 
there's something that no one knows or something you didn't know and it just makes you go wow that's fun (laughs) (laughs) um so when was the first time that you uh, i mean obviously you've done all this hard work creating the mailing platform and you know, finding bandwidth and da 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 da, and so the, initially the barrier to entry was quite difficult. But as technology improved and emailing programs became more available, the barrier to entry got uh, basically mm-hmm. basically evaporated. Yeah. When did the first time? When was the first time you noticed people from London just go, "Oh, hang on, that, they're doing what we're doing"? When did you realize that? When did that start? Uh, probably about four or five years in. Um, some of the guys on the message board set up their own called Holy Moly, which was Are they similar? from Pop Message Boards? Yeah. Holy moly. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, people had their own stories and they thought, hey, why don't we do this? So anyone who's got the, the balls to do it, we thought we're probably filling slightly different niches, so why not? A lot of newspapers then started doing it. They could see that this was a powerful way to get people. So, And I guess as well that culture with with the internet, things like culture became more globalized you know in britain we could watch american tv shows instantly rather than years behind so people were reading stuff that came out of the states people from the states probably reading stuff that came over here so suddenly there were loads of loads of other things did it ever bother you or did you just persevere with what like that's a big question for me it's like when i remember when perez hilton came out and everyone was like look at this guy i'm like what do you mean camilla's been doing that for Seven years. Like, what's the big deal? Like, did you feel at all threatened by that? Like, how did you deal with that kind of thing? Uh, I think we always thought we'd have our own style and enough people would follow it. But, yeah, you don't know. The next week, if people there's, there's a new thing. And there has been new things all the time that people have, have followed. But it's not a zero-sum game. It's not like I'm not going to read Pop anymore because I've got my new thing. It's like, well, I've got, I've got that. That comes on a Thursday, and I'll read something else on a Friday, and I'll read something else during the week. But I think what has changed is the nature of gossip stories. What used to be really important was to break a story, a scoop. But now there's so many, so many sites and so many ways of doing it that nobody knows where a story comes from. Within five minutes of a story coming out, everyone's covered it. So nobody really cares where a story came from. I think you, you find a website or a magazine or a newspaper or an email that you like their style. You kind of, you go with them. Um, I don't think, there's a lot of people who've covered popular culture, but I'm not, you might know better than me who covers it in the same same way. We've always tried to, I guess, do our own, do our own thing, do it in our own style. And I'm not sure... We have the same style as a Perez Hilton, same kind of coverage, I guess, and same thing, but we're probably different different ways of approaching the same subject matter. But yeah, I mean, he decided he wanted to be a celebrity, you know, went huge and respect for doing it. But the option, you know, we've, we're always given opportunities to do that, to go on TV, to, to take the brand into different places and to be the face of the brand. But I, I like being behind the scenes. And I think it was never a, a name. It was not my name. It was just the name of a magazine. So it's kind of, it's, it's easier sometimes. It's easier to have longevity if it's not your face out there. Well, thanks you know? for doing this then because, you know, this kind of does put you out there a little bit. Well, I think you've got to tell people why you're doing things. We don't have to. But it helps to tell people why you're doing things, I think, in order to be able to 
to know yourself a bit better. The more you talk about what you're doing, the more you can be sure that you're doing things for the right reasons why you're doing it. Even though you maintained a low profile, did any of the people you were writing about, did you ever find yourself face-to-face with them and they realised who you were? (laughs) Uh, There's been some uncomfortable moments, yeah. Um, Or more that you're sitting in a meeting or in a room with somebody and you know that that last week you've written about them, but you can't be sure whether they know what you've written about them. And that's just the worst moments. There was a... I had a meeting at... MTV about a show probably about 10 years ago and there was a guy in the meeting who I can't quite remember the story but I think we'd said he used to put toothpaste on his dick so he could last longer in bed there was something really horribly personal in a meeting well that was the week before and then that week and he was sitting there and he was very pleasant but he was a little bit sharp and you you suddenly start to get paranoid. Oh, my God. Is Should I say something? Should I make a joke about it? Should I say, this is the story. I bet you've seen it. But no, I didn't. Or there's other people that you've written bad things about um, who will come up to you and say, my lifetime's ambition was to be in Pop Bitch. That's great, <laughs> you know. Thank you. That was the best uh, best publicity I've ever had, that sort of thing. So, Is there a Pop Bitch bump? <laughs> I don't know. There's people do email you in and say, you know, that's one of my ambitions ticked off. And you say, but uh, we were uh, we were saying how bad that film was or something. And they go, I don't care. I'm in it. But, well, I guess what I was asking is like, have you, did, did like record sales go up? Did, can you ever claim responsibility for someone, you know, get, getting a Christmas number one or anything like that? Have you ever seen your sway in, uh, in evidence? Um. I think we had, at the beginning of Adele's career, I think we pushed her very early. I have no claims on her success. Her success has just come from her. But I think it pushed her to the right people really quickly. The same with Mika. When I heard Grace Kelly long before it came out and just thought I was blown away by the pop single. I think we wrote that he was going to be, you know, the next, the next pop superstar. This was the best song of the year. And it took off around the world. And he always uh, credits credits it that with his his start i always said i yeah i'd never heard of me till i was in pop bitch either <laughs> which is uh very sweet <laughs> i i know that you, you mentioned madonna earlier who who have some other like what's the most i don't know unlikely place you've heard yourself name checked the the weirdest one was just after that madonna thing on the message boards she did a comeback gig in a small venue in london this is 12 years ago, uh, when she'd had Rocco and she was living in London with Guy Ritchie. And she got up on stage and she said, I'm going to dedicate this song to all you pop bitches out there. Which was a, whoa, what did she just say moment? But that's not, I mean, that was unexpected because it's Madonna. Um, the weirdest place I've ever, the weirdest moment I think I've had, I was at a, a, in Parliament here. There was a, a discussion on the privacy and the law and I was just on a panel talking about things and I was just getting a cup of coffee in the interval and this uh, old lord, a government minister from the 90s came up behind me and said, I love pop bitch, tell me, last week's blind item, was that Joanna Lumley? And I just thought, oh my God. This... We're so part of the establishment now. 
Because there is that thing. It is the there is that particularly peculiarly 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 British yes thing about the blind item the don't ask don't tell that kind of ooh I wonder if that's yeah and it, a lot of people do them now but I, I I'm sh- I don't know whether we should really let people in on the secret but quite often these blind items are people who aren't that interesting so if you actually said who they were you'd just go eh. but if you take the name out and just put the detail in it suddenly becomes something that the story becomes more interesting and who it might be becomes the focus of the story. So um, everyone always thinks they're things that are so dangerous you can't print them. And that's true about half the time. But the other half of the time they're so banal that you don't really want to name who it is. <laughs> After the, uh, you know, you mentioned about being in the early stages of drafting new law and new legislations, I mean, I'm, you say it with a smile, but I'm sure it must have caused sleepless nights. I'm sure it must have caused an issue. Actually, the, the, the thing that was the hardest thing to get through, but also the thing that made us, there was, it was, um, it was thanks to the Beckhams, really, Dave and Victoria. Um, there was somebody was, somebody come to us with a story that David Beckham was involved with a model somewhere in the Far East, I think it was. And then somebody had heard that story, and again on our message board was, putting something that they'd heard, something else about him. It's really very only a kind of exploratory, as anybody heard this kind of. We were just looking into it thinking it sounded a bit interesting but odd. And then the whole kind of might of the Beckhams, people came down on us. Suddenly we were getting legal letters and we were getting threats on the message board and things like that. And we thought, hold on a minute. So we didn't write up the story. We just wrote up that... You know, is there smoke? Is there smoke without any fire? And why is it that these people are coming down so heavily on us? And they took the opportunity, I think, to to get it out in the open. Suddenly we found ourselves on the news headlines, the front page of every tabloid, you know, disgusting gossip mongers on the internet are insinuating stories about our David. Um, Obviously six months later is when the news of the world put David Beckham and Rebecca Lewis on the front cover, the tabloid coverage suddenly turned completely differently to uh, what they thought of David Beckham. But um, that was scary because it was the first time you found yourself in the position of the people you normally write about, I guess. And suddenly you're being besieged at home. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Um, bye. 
journalists and people constantly emailing on the phone to you saying, you know, we want your story, give us your side, did you really do this, what's going on? And when you don't have, when you've got basically a small office, no support staff, no one to answer the phones, no experience of it, no publicist, no one, no one to be a buffer to you. Yeah, it was quite, it was a unusual couple of days. But then you realise it gives you a better, I, get, I think a better understanding of what it's like to be the people you write about. And I'm hoping that over the years it's given us a better sense of what, what you should, how you should treat people, you know, how not to be mean to them. Did things shift after that? It became enormous after that. We must have made about 100,000 new subscribers huh. in one go. So it made, made our reputation, I guess, especially when the stories turned out a long time later to have legs. But um, so I don't know what the Beckhams feel about Hot Bitch, but it was. Uh, I think at that point that was that was a big moment. Also, the first the first time you do get a legal letter, it's a kind of shit. This is real. I thought we were just playing around having fun. But, it's interesting because um, those kind of stories now, people would start writing about them on Twitter and like, good luck to any legal yeah. firm trying to shut down thirteen thousand separate Twitter users. Well, they have been trying to do that here, and it you know it doesn't really work. They, uh, I think, people used to try and place stories on the internet in the hope that they would then get picked up, and the newspapers would pick them up. I think a lot of people now are trying to place things on Twitter in the hope that if they can put a rumor out there, and enough people start ta- talking about it, then they can legitimately cover it in magazines and things like that. So, yeah. The world of the uh, the lawyers who think they can control their uh, the image of their clients, I mean, it's collapsed as from where it was. But from once upon a time, it was, uh, you know, you say something that they don't want. And uh, again, here, it's, it's different as well. And British law is, is, has not been that friendly to the media. It's changed again this year. There's a, a new defamation law, which means... You, it's harder for people to sue you for defamation than it used to be. So it's all good. <laughs> I guess, you know, you've always struck me as just the, the, the loveliest person. I mean, I, I, I remember I first met you because I can't even remember what issue it was. It was very early. Yeah, but was, issue 40 or something. It was within the first year. Yeah. You said, hey, we're coming to Australia. What's up? And I wrote you back going, Hey, come out to Bondi. Let's go have some dinner. Mm-hmm. And you went, all right. And then you were in my house. You just came over. Yeah, that was quite a weird thing to do, I guess. It was <laughs> brilliant. And we walked down the street and we went and got sushi at Raw Bar. Um, and yeah. there was a lot of sake. There's a lot of sake and a lot of sushi. A lot of Sapporo. And then we walked to the other end of the Bondi. Uh-huh. And we went disco dancing downstairs at Motion where this is back when the Sneaky Sound System had a Wednesday night or a Sunday night residency, I think. And it was fit. And normally we were doing champagne and Jägermeister. Only time in my life I've done champagne and Jägermeister. And it was such a top <laughs> night. Yeah. I don't drink anymore, obviously, but back then it was <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember that night. I was like, hey, this is fun. This is, this is good. These, these are good people. And then you just turned up out of nowhere. I remember that was like the first time, like an internet. It was, you're my first internet friend. Yeah. You really are. It's weird, isn't it? It is. I just simply responded to an email. We uh, put something in the newsletter and quite a few people responded. And I think we met, we went out with two, you, uh, the two people 
I thought, hey, these people sound... It was me and Cameron nice. Adams, wasn't it? You and Cameron Adams. Yeah. Who's a, a very, very prolific and quite successful music writer yeah. uh, for the Herald Sun down in Melbourne. And um, he and I didn't put this together until like four years later. When we Is were that he- right? Yeah, when we were here. Remember that trip when we went to that That's right. strange after hours bar? We all went out to the same bar together and went, hang on a minute. Yeah. This is- and, and I know you, you both. Yeah, you saw. <laughs> yeah, and we were on this junket together. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm still in touch with Cameron as well. He's Last great. time I was in Australia, a couple of years ago, a couple of Christmases ago, um, yeah, spent Christmas Eve with him, doing the same sort of thing, sitting in bars, gossiping about rock stars. <laughs> so um, this internet, you know, friendship lark, it kind of works. It, it truly it truly does. You, do you see yourself as separate? Like, do you see the, the idea that, you know, you can dehumanize a celebrity? You know, you can go, well, that's them and this is me and, and I can write whatever I like. Like, do you, do you think about that when, you, when you're writing stuff? Whether you're writing about a, a person or, 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 or anything, I think you have to be quite hard. You have to be, you can't be too sensitive as to people's, you have to desensitize people. Otherwise, you'd never write a word about anyone because you'd, as soon as you start thinking, I can't write this, somebody out there might not like it. Nobody would write anything. But I think having in mind that people are humans too they have feelings and therefore not going out of your way to be nasty about people i mean we've always tried to stay clear of you know people not not always successfully and certainly i think got better over the time you know women's weight people's appearances just adding in the sort of snarky adjectives because you can just it's hard it's 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 nasty it is dehumanizing i don't by the whole theory that just because somebody's famous, they deserve to be knocked down. But I do think that once you are out there and you have a public profile and you have people placing really happy, positive stories about you, then there's a place for the other side if you think it's true. You know, somebody's. There are people that over the years we have never had a bad story about. Brad Pitt, David Tennant, who was Doctor Who here. I mean, they're two of the people that I guess over time you've probably had a hundred stories about and all of them are, are nice. And it might be that they're horrible people. We only have nice stories about them, but it's, I don't think I've written a bad word about either because you can't. Whereas there's some people you only get bad stories about because they choose to behave like that to people around them. So, yeah, it's, you, can, you have to be a little bit hard in order to, to do it. And I have no real desire to socialise with the people we write about because you have to have some separation. I think as soon as you want to become part of the process, a celebrity yourself, part of that industry with your own publicist, things like that, then you can't really comment on on that world because it, it's your world. So um, it's I think the the best I wouldn't say best journalist, but the best ways of doing journalism is i think just to stand slightly outside what you're trying to comment on are you do you see that like obviously you're you're a trained journalist you went to university you went to a fancy i'm not not a trained journalist i went to university i studied politics philosophy and economics at oxford yeah you went to a fancy university you went to oxford right what did you study there uh politics philosophy and economics same as like david cameron and half of our government i always thought my future would be in political journalism or something. So I went off after that to work in... It wasn't that long after Russia and Eastern Europe and the Berlin Wall had come down. So I went off to work for a few years 
over there. And I was in my spare time doing some writing about that world, mainly about finance and economics. And then from that spare time, I ended up, started off doing some record reviews for fun, thinking, why not? I don't have to get paid for this. Where I were like, you both? I like records. Um, I was back here in London by then, but oh. before that, I'd been in Prague, Hi. Kiev. What, in your early 20s? Yeah. Oh, wow. Knees awesome. up. Exactly. Um, Kiev, one of the greatest cities in the world, sort of not quite doing what it wants at the moment, and uh, Georgia, places like that. So um, I ended up back here in London doing, doing some um, music reviews in spare time and suddenly realizing that actually the music writing was coming a lot easier than the drier writing. And I thought, oh, just, I don't know. I wonder, I wonder if it's a sensible idea, late 20s, to start thinking about a career in pop journalism, which <laughs> it probably wasn't, but it, over, it's turned out to be. I think what wasn't, what there's a, you know, there's a lot more opportunities available to you now to, as you were saying at the beginning, carve your own path in life. And just because... It wasn't the done thing for a 30-year-old to go off and it doesn't mean that it isn't now. If you look at how the world's changed, though, I mean, the same bands that our parents liked, you know, are still touring, you know. If the Rolling Stones can still go and play pop concerts, then... And sell out stadiums. sell out stadiums around the world, then I think you can, you can safely say there's a career to, to write about these people as you grow older. I guess what I was going to ask is that when you see, you, just you mentioned that the separation between, because uh, I just noted when you're talking about that, there's there's a definite trend of like the people who write about the gossip pages, you'll see the selfies of themselves mm-hmm. at the event going, here I am too, here I am too. And I think there's two forms of it though. I mean, there's the, you have, there are, the, it's it's entirely legitimate to be part of that scene and to the selfies and the this is how I saw at a party this is what's happening I've got invited almost like the reportage of this is this world but that's like the outside layer we want to get behind it and say okay that's what you think you see and you think you hear and what people are putting out to you on Twitter and Instagram that's the kind of shiny outside but you know there's a seedy dark undercore to everything, you know, what goes on behind the scenes, how that person got their deal, who's, you know, what they really did when they left that party. That's, that's, a, that's the bit I think you have to be far enough away from. Also, the people who go to these parties and report back to us can do it anonymously, which means that they're not going to get barred from the next party because they wrote about something bad. So they can carry on being happy, shiny and nice to everybody and quietly in a dark corner, sort of send us a message saying what really happened. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that your background in kind of dry, very, you know, very referenced, very serious, very accountable journalism sets you apart from other people that write about this stuff? I don't know. it, it, It probably means we've got, I've got a different interest, um, in it. I'm looking on it as a way of, I think the world of uh, celebrity and the world of popular culture is, is such an important world. There's so much influence on people. There's so much money. There's so much being sold to people. There's so much, not just in financial terms like trainers and that, but you know who to support, your politics, the charities, everything. 
and I think that the sort of drier, more serious journalism has has not really looked at that. You know, they still look at the world of politics as a tiny little world of governments and foreign policy. And they don't realize that someone like Angelina Jolie probably has more influence in the world, how people look at, I guess, foreign affairs and charities than, say, you know, Secretary of State for, you know, America. And not taking seriously a world in which billions of pounds are being traded and huge amounts of interest interest groups are involved, it does it a disservice. It does a disservice to readers. I think there's a, a perception that, you know, young people are stupid and they like pop music and people who read, you know, big newspapers and The Economist and that take things seriously. But I don't think that distinction's there. And I think that you can take seriously some of the what look like trivial parts of life um, just as much as you should take seriously what happens in Congress or something like that. So without making it, making it sound like we have this massively serious mission... It's an interesting world, and therefore it, it you know, it, lo- it deserves properly looking at. Who's the pop bitch of politics? There's a great uh, website here called Guido Fawkes, who, I guess, smash open the world of Westminster and just stop people taking themselves seriously. Um, I used to really like Ted Casablanca and the E! channel in America. I don't think he writes there anymore, but... Again, sort of, he came from a more journalistic background, I think, and took took the world of Hollywood, and on the surface looked like he was kind of towing the line and being quite a bland sort of gossip reporter. But underneath it, we're just putting in so many clues and so much attitude. I think you can. I think you can do that in anything. Over the uh, over the, the existence of Pop Bitch, who have been your absolute favorites who you're like oh goody here comes an album from this person this is going to be a great year um there's a band called blue who i really love because they are personalities in their their own work right and not just as a band but they'll all go off and do strange and stupid things at all times you know they've gone bust so many times bank one minute one of them's bankrupt and they're gay and they're straight one of them was caught on camera urinating against an ATM. Lee Ryan, who's probably our favorite member of Blue, has been on Celebrity Big Brother lately and has just become a big star through that. Just, I think people who are just entertaining. Um, Britney Spears for the first few years, but I just felt quite sad for Britney the last few years. She just does not seem... The world doesn't seem to have been kind to her, I think. I think that's... Uh, I hope one day that she looks like she's enjoying her music again, but um, she'll always be one of our favourites. Um, there's so many people that you just, as soon as they come out with a, something... Actually, our favourite is a, is a kind of small TV star in Britain called Paul Danan. He was in a show called Hollyoaks, a reality show called Celebrity Love Island. He's really not a big star, but every single thing he does says you just love it um danny dyer who's now in eastenders here again he's someone who has a a persona and i don't think takes himself terribly seriously so you can have a lot of fun fun with that um 
it's much easier to play with it's much easier to feel closer to the personalities I think of smaller stars than the kind of A-list I think that's been the trouble over the last few years it's the with the growth of reality TV people like the Kardashians showing you their intimate or their faked intimate details of their life you feel much closer to that world than the big A-list stars who you don't know anything about their life when they're not in a movie and therefore there's been a maybe a divorce of celebrity and talent which is uh which is which has changed i guess the world of reporting about it as well what are you saying that the two are no longer come, come together that there's been there's such a there's a, such a big market for stories about people who are famous that they're largely filled now by people who are famous for being famous and therefore are willing to have everything about their lives put on camera on Instagram and a lot of the people who you you would have called famous people who are famous for being a sports star or being a film star or something I guess they don't have to do that anymore they don't have to be in the you look at them like the the celebrity magazines every week it's it's people who are famous for being in that magazine they're not famous outside it and the same with TV um shows about people who are willing to be on TV be, have, have made people stars. I think it's changed the nature of celebrity in that people are people now want to be celebrities. It's it's a career choice. You don't think I'd like to be a uh, a novelist and then I might get famous. You think I'm going to get famous. So um and then write my novel or get my then, novel ghost written. Exactly, exactly. Um Katie Price who's one of our I guess biggest celebrities here of the she was started AKA off, Jordan. Jordan, yeah. I mean, she started off as a glamour model. Mrs. Andre? <laughs> the ex Mrs. Andre. She started off as a glamour model, but she's more famous now for having had like 12 or 15 novels close to written. That's where she's made her money. Good for her. Absolutely. Good for, good for her that she's made a, you know, she's making money that she's, you know, I always think about that. I can never I can never if you're making cash, if you're paying paying the bills, good for you. You know, it's up mm-hmm. between you and the universe how you'd make that money. But if you're doing it, yeah. if you're doing it, you know, good, good on you. Um, I do notice, like, I think now when I think about my life, you know, I, I had a very tiny exposure to uh, the public eye when I was doing a show like Idol in mm-hmm. Australia, and there was a period there. That must where, have been quite a big exposure. Well, I, I'm trying to downplay it, but <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, it was. It was in my country it was you know i didn't have the most intense experience i'm sure people have you know there's far more you know famous people than i but i had you know i had the experience of you know being papped and being things written about and stuff like that but i'm ever so grateful ever so grateful that it happened before facebook and a lot of it happened before camera phones yeah <laughs> i think in some ways we've always i've always thought that can get away with writing about people particularly if you're trying to write about them things that are true but there's a lot more uh, I guess it's uh, photos paparazzi camera phones it's a lot more invasive you might not like that someone's written something about you but they're just words written probably the other side of the world but the the growth of the I guess the, the paparazzi the the, whole, the people who want to be paparazzis and just basically follow stars around with a camera. Yelling things at Yelling them. Yelling things. Um, it's, 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 
it's changed the nature of, I guess, being famous. Um, and it, I, that, that to me is quite invasive. The, the pictures of the, you know, celebrities' children. I mean, you're four years old. Do you really want to be followed to the shops every day? I don't know if there's a... I've not, I've not thought of... I don't think anyone's thought of a way of framing laws that would stop it, that wouldn't have knock-on effects, that would, would be bad in other parts of reporting and journalism. But it kind of requires us as humans just to say, maybe we shouldn't harass this person. Maybe uh, letting somebody have a drink in a pub without a camera being in their face all the time is actually how we behave. We can, you know, write a post on Facebook about how we've just seen somebody in a pub, maybe, but, you know, calling the, you know, the paparazzi and letting them ruin somebody's night every night. I mean, I'm part of that industry, so I'm not going to claim that they be holier than thou, but I don't look at it sometimes and think it's gone in a wholly positive way. Have people come to you with photos and, and said you should... You know, We've, we used to get them a lot, but then we just said we don't publish them. Hmm. You know, this is text. We'll link to other people's if we think it's it's good, but we're not, we're not going to put up stolen pictures of people. Sometimes you think, wow, maybe. But I love that story, and I, I tell it a lot. The story about Angelina Jolie's code when she leaves the house. Um, uh, you wrote about it. It was in one of That's your issues. That's right. I can't remember now. <laughs> uh, it was along the lines of like if she if she waves. At the photographers, it means I'm coming with my kids. Don't mm-hmm. take any photos. But if she doesn't waves and she looks like she doesn't want a photo taken, and in your words, fill your boots. <laughs> like, yeah. Away you go, boys. Get the shots because I'm not. I'm without my kids and do whatever you want. Yeah, I don't. And think- I, I kind of I read that and I thought, well, it's nice that she knows they know. You know, she's like just not the kids. If that's sort of how if if that's how it plays out, I think that's good. Um, some people who sell a lot of stories, them and their kids, to the magazines, the papers, and then turn around and say, actually, I don't want it anymore. We'll take out an injunction to stop it. I just kind of think, come on. It doesn't work like that. You can't, you can't do that. You can't pick one day that you want to make money from your children's images and the next day that you don't. But again, we're back, again, we're back to Britney Spears. I remember being in L.A., um, just leaving the Four Seasons Hotel one day. This is a long time ago. This is when she was just starting her breakdown period before she shaved her head and things like that. Poor girl. And I just, there was probably about 50 photographers. But also, before that, you'd realise that there were, there were kind of kids on the corner with mobile phones who were obviously primed to just call agencies the second anybody famous turned up. So they couldn't, the photographers couldn't get moved along because they only turned up for... A few minutes and suddenly the rushing in of 50 40 or 50 men with big cameras she was trying to get into her car pushing people out the way pushing her kids out the way just the 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 flash bulbs going off shouting abuse so that you get the shot of people looking scared or angry i kind of think that's not that's maybe the other side of the line that's uh that's something maybe we shouldn't be pushing so far if you, for example, like in some, you know, parallel universe, you were a media coach and someone's just one pop idol or mm-hmm. X Factor or something and they're ginormous, legitimately ginormous, and they sit them alone in a room with you and go, Camille's going to tell you, this is how it goes down. You weren't famous yesterday and now you are. Here's what you need to know. What would you tell them? i tell them to keep people around them that knew them before they were famous and listen to them 
be nice to everybody around you because you have no reason not to be because you might be that person again in the future. I'd say listen to people who can... Listen to people that you admire, people who've done things in their career. Don't think you know better than them. But more than that, make sure you enjoy it. I've had so many stories from pop stars who said that they were so on such a roller coaster, on such a treadmill. I never really enjoyed the moment they had. Um, S Club 7, a band that was huge in America and Britain, probably Australia as Massive. well, for a while. I remember when Joe O'Meara, the singer, she, well, the one who sang most of the songs, was trying to launch as a, a solo star here. I helped her write her solo biography just for her website and for her a record company. And I was asking her just to go through what it was like being a pop star. And she said, you know what, I never had the chance to have fun because <laughs> our schedule was so intense that you'd go to... You'd go somewhere and you'd win, you'd win an award. You'd win like a, a Brit or something like that. But you'd, 10 minutes later, you'd be on a plane out of there. So you never got a chance to actually think about what you did. And only afterwards did you think, wow, those were great days. And you think, God, I bet that happens to a lot of stars, that they're, they're so caught up in what they're supposed to be doing. They forget the reason they ever wanted to be a singer in the first place was because they probably enjoyed singing. So, yeah, my advice would be have fun. Be nice. Never take photos of yourself naked digitally. Never take photos. Never, never, n- never do a sex tape unless you want to sell it. Because somebody else will. <laughs> I think would be my advice. <laughs> there is no such thing as a sex tape that goes of somebody famous that goes quietly unnoticed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I do recall on the it came our way on a f- Friday. Uh, at Channel V when mm-hmm. I worked in the music television channel, the whole office, the pop bitch email would arrive sometime in the afternoon after lunch and no phone would ring <laughs> for half an hour or 20 minutes. It would shut down. It was like, can't talk. Pop bitch just came in. And it was just pervasive. It was, mm. it was brilliant. It, almost, it, almost, it truly almost set the tone of what we would talk about that week. It was so forward-thinking. Uh, it is so forward-thinking. And, you know, it gave us this insight into what was big here i mean this is pre anything really it really set the agenda i guess in many ways for for, for and of course the, the sense of humor here and the sense of humor in australia is very, very yeah. similar what what role did australia play in in pop bitch over the years quite a weirdly strong one i mean we probably i guess our readership maybe you know 10 15 australian but it's quite a big percentage for um, for for a British publication, um, it's helped us the the knowing that people there are reading it and feeding back stories about Australian stars and and cultures. It's given it, a, I guess, a slightly more global tone. Um, the fact that you're ten hours ahead, nine hours ahead, means that people are often reading it. I don't mean in advance, but if you're you're getting people's Thoughts on a Friday morning, I guess. Um, or you would, sometimes you send things out at times when people in the States or in the UK are going to bed or something. You get extra, you get early feedback. You get stories before everybody else. Um, and also, I guess, the humour. I think, as I said earlier, people, I don't know whether it's a cultural thing or whether it's just the people who 
who read this, but people were not offended or were not offended about things that were not intended to be offensive. You could, you could, take, you could run jokes and people would pass them on, think they were funny. Um, so it was, it's a nice sounding board. If you, if you get something wrong and you get one of your Australian contributors saying, hey, I think that's a bit mean, you knew you were, you know? Um, but it helped us have a sort of wider view of the world, that the world wasn't just about UK and London. And I think we started that by getting to know people like you in Sydney, getting to know what the media culture was there. And I think it's got bigger. We've got one of, you know, we've got some of our editors are now in places like Dubai, Canada. And I think knowing that there's, it's not about where you live or what you know, but it's maybe about your take on the world. And people all over the world can come together through the internet, knowing that they've got the same, they might not understand each other's celebrities, but hey, we've got the same feelings about them. So it was a really important starting point. Um, you've just launched uh, the Pop Bitch iPad app. Yeah. Uh, which is ever so exciting. It's ever so exciting. This is... Uh, and scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like for someone that never did an HTML email when all emails now have got embedded this and video that and GIFs and you name it. You've always stayed ASCII the whole time mm-hmm. the email has stayed this particular design. Um, why move from the email into the iPad app? Um, iPad technology enables you to do more, obviously, than an ASCII email. But I think it fits our, our, our tone and our subject matter well. And that it's, I think if you, uh, you read emails differently to how you read a website, how you read uh, something in an iPad on a phone. I think the iPad gives you a chance to sit back and sit at home almost or in cocooned in your little world and read something. Um, and that's how we wanted to do something else, how it's presented, not just up there and hope that somebody reads it or the kind of SEO clickbait um, sort of headlines, but something a little bit more thoughtful about the world of um, popular culture. I think uh, we did this week. It gives you it gives you a chance to do sort of two or three thousand word stories mm-hmm. rather than one hundred word stories. Uh, and while we've always linked out from the Popwich newsletter to other people doing great long reads, I mean, there's always something in like the New Yorker or Rolling Stone or, or little blogs that I think are brilliant. But then you think, hang on a minute, why don't we link out to our own stories so this we did something on the the mail online and and one direction fans people who there's a there's a meme here of harry my cat died so you tell harry styles that something terrible's happened to you so that he retreats you so it started as a guy who followed it saying harry my cat died will you retreat me otherwise i'll be really sad but it's gone. It's become such a dark place. It's like, Harry, my grandmother died. If you don't retreat me, I'm going to be feeling really bad. And there's pictures of dead people and things like that. So it's kind of a... It's a Has it, he retweeted them? I, 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 sometimes. Oh, yeah. I guess somebody's going, shit, do this. But most of the time, it's just thousands of, of fans desperate for, desperate for a connection to a star. So I think being able to cover things like that requires pictures and it requires... Um, embedding videos and I know you can do that online you can do that in email this just seemed like for the first time there was a way of doing it that we really wanted to do yeah um I don't know initial feedback's been great but I don't know how it'll take off but we're hoping that um it becomes a kind of a part of what we do you must be thrilled that One Direction is where they are I mean 
people can say whatever they like about Bieber and One Direction. What mm-hmm. these two acts have achieved in the last five years are just in this age of completely fractured audience. Yeah. Unbelievable what they've done. Yeah, I mean, when One Direction were, they, I mean, they, was, they were put together in X Factor here in the UK. I remember thinking at the time, these guys are going to walk this competition. There hasn't been a, this generation of fans has not had its own boy band. I mean, Westlife, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, they were, you know, years ago. And these, suddenly these kids, they, they were cute and they were, they were lucky as well. They were given good songs. I think the first couple of songs they were given were great records, oh. unbelievable songs. What Makes You Beautiful is amazing. Such a great song. And it's the same stable that brought you the Backstreet Boys songs as well. So you knew there was something there. But the fact that they've taken off like they have, I mean, incredible. Um, and it just makes you realise that popular culture is universal. Are British pop stars more fun to write about than American ones? No, Americans are great. Um, I think uh, American stars, at least until one, uh, apart from say One Direction, are more glo- have more global traction. You know, Rihanna, Katy Perry, people like that, and so they have the opportunity and, and Bieber now for just becoming sort of crazed versions of pop stars, like like we always imagined stars did. You know. At the moment, we're, we're loving the whole thing of Katy Perry demanding kittens at every photo shoot she goes to. You just think, cool. Um, Brianna, I mean, she lives her life pretty much as you want a pop star to, to live. And, you know, say what you like about, I mean, that video of Justin Bieber's deposition this week, which has been everywhere, you know, everyone's been like, it's disgraceful, how disrespectful he is. It's like, we want, surely somewhere, we want our pop stars behave like tits i mean we do you think of overtime decades that have gone you don't want to sit there thinking what a nice man he is i bet he's nice to his grandmother you just want to think oh my god the fame did go to his head all the money the drugs everything hey you know there is something to it you want people to be larger than life otherwise hey we'd all be pop stars what's the pop pitch fascination with cute furry animals particularly alpacas and badgers (laughs) I think, well, if, if there's a, I don't know if there's any real reasoning behind it, but if you were to try and work it out, I think we wanted to give Popbitch a, a, a thing, a focus that wasn't just celebrities gossip. It was a bit more rounded. And just as the, I guess as cat pictures have become huge currency on the internet, before that we started doing the same look oh and you know here we are being nasty to this celebrity but look at the cute little animal we can be nice as well i think it came from that and then you realize that actually the pictures of the otters were way more popular with people than the stories you were you spent hours crafting these stories and then you put out a picture of a cat and everybody shared the cat picture it was like okay this is an important part of what we're doing I don't know why. Sea otters holding hands particularly. Oh, yeah, totally. I don't know where the otters came from. I think it came from Paulie, who was our programmer who developed the message board. I think he had a thing about otters. So he would just put in, occasionally put otter pictures in, and other people ran with it. And then we started doing it. And then it was weird. You'd get people like from The Guardian or the BBC ringing up saying, we're doing a special issue on wildlife. Would you like to write the piece about otters? And you're like, great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And um, and the badger and baboon fascination came from, again, it was somebody in a local newspaper who 
had they had David Cameron, the Prime Minister, coming in. So they asked people for questions. Would you leave a question? And somebody left the question, please would you ask David Cameron who he thinks would win in a fight between a baboon and a badger? And so afterwards I asked them what the answer was. They said, oh, we just didn't dare. We should, we, the question was there, but he didn't answer it. So we said, right, it's going to be our mission to get David Cameron to answer that question. So I used to call their office, his press officer, pretty much every couple of days, just ringing up to find out what David Cameron thinks about this. And she said, I'll come back to you and answer. I'll come back to you. And eventually they just said, look, you probably know that the answer right now is he's never going to answer this question for you. So by which time we'd already asked about 200 other famous people. So we put out a book saying, you know, David Cameron wouldn't answer this, but... Oh, you're talking your betting... No, a book. A book. Oh, not, really a, not really a betting, but just who, in the, if in a theoretical fight between a, ba- a baboon and a badger, who'd win? Hmm. So we'd go to pop stars, you know, you'd go to someone from, like, Abs from Five, and he'd tell you. Went to Noam Chomsky, people like that. You know, anybody you could, and just ask them. Alice Walker, this week, was the last one, you know, who wrote The Colour Purple. But she thinks that badgers and baboons in the future will be able to live in harmony together, showing us humans a way forward. So it just became, the, 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 the fairy animals thing just became something silly. I think as well, it's, it's an easy, a lot of, I mean, Pop has always been for, reader, for the readers, but by them as well. I mean, most of the stories come in from people who read it. And sending in a, a, a story about a sea otter means that anybody can contribute. You don't have to be, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to know anyone famous. Well, this has been fabulous. I'm glad that we could talk about this. But you end every issue of pop bitch with the old jokes home which is a notoriously kind of like a dad joke or a christmas cracker joke and it's brilliant so if you could camilla my darling could you take us out there's been i reckon about 650 jokes just trying to remember one's really hard but one that always sticks in my head is what's the difference between simply red and a bull I don't know. What's the difference between Simply Red, the band, and a bull? Simply Red have got the horns at the back and the arsehole at the front. (laughs) I mean, it seems a little unfair, but hey. (laughs) I'm sure sure Mick Hucknall's a lovely man. I've never met him. I I can't confirm. Camilla, my darling, thank you so much. Popbitch.com. Go there now. Thank you. Subscribe. You're a star. Thank you. I'm going to take your photo, hopefully with a badger. Okay. Is that all right? And that is Camilla Wright. Follow her on Twitter at Popbitch. Let her know you heard her on the show. Subscribe to Popbitch. It's a great newsletter. It'll make your weekend. Um, if you like the show, please tweet out a link. Please tweet out a link to the show on Facebook, on Twitter, on wherever you've tweeted out. That'd be ace. Head to osherginsberg.com, uh, subscribe to the mailing list, mailing list. I'll let you know about new episodes and other things as they come along. Um, check out my other podcast, Let Me Tell You Something, with Natalia Perez. It's great. Have a good week. Sorry if I bummed you out at the start. Um, I didn't mean to, but I just... You know, I just want to be honest about what's happening. That's that's what's happening. Um, I still, I'm still me. I still do the job I do. Um, I just do it while I deal with this thing that happens between my ears. <laughs> um, I always have, but you know, I guess since I started the show, I just started talking about it. Um, but that's uh, that's what's going on. 
but like I keep saying, I'm just super grateful that you're here because uh, for some weird reason, um, this kind of helps. So, hey, thank you for being here. And um, I'm really looking forward to talking to you next week. Got some really great guests uh, coming up, which I'm super, super excited about. But thank you for being a part of the show. Let me know what you thought. Feedback is a breakfast at Champions. So find me on Twitter at Osher Ginsberg. I'm not hard to find. Um, and, you know, I'm in Sydney. If you see me around, come and say hi. It's always nice to meet new people. Have a great week. Sleep well, my friends. Dream of beautiful things. All right. I love you. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.